Good morning again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. I'm actually going to read two verses, uh, Acts 6, 7, and Acts 8, 4, and hopefully it will become clear why those <laughs> two verses as we move forward. Uh, before we read that, would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we, uh, we do thank you for your word and the work that your word does in our hearts by the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would come and meet with us now, Father, that you would do your work through your word. Uh, we trust, Father, that this moment is about you. Uh, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about our ability to figure it out or understand or convince ourselves. Father, it's about the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so, Father, we pray that you would come and work in us through your word, to your glory, uh, that we would uh, more fully trust you, love you, serve you, obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two verses, Acts 6, 7 and Acts 8, 4. Acts 6, 7 says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Acts 8, 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Well, as some of you know, many of you know, that this afternoon is our annual congregational meeting uh, after the service. Uh, the congregational meeting, of course, is a time when you kind of look back over uh, the year, think about where you've been, you look to the future, uh, you think about where you're going. And people always want to talk about growth at congregational meetings. Uh, have we grown? How will we grow in the future? Those kinds of things. And uh, this morning, we are looking at uh, the book of Acts and, and church growth in the book of Acts. That's what we're looking at this morning uh, in those two verses, Acts 6-7 and Acts 8-4. And we're connecting those two verses, why? Uh, they, they, they're not even in remotely in the same chapter, right? It's uh, 6 and 8. Um, well, those two verses are connected, at least in this sense, uh, they bookend the story of Stephen. So we've been looking at the story of Stephen for the past couple weeks, his opposition, his arrest, his trial, his sermon, his martyrdom. And uh, chapter 6, verse 7 is the last verse before the story of Stephen. Chapter 8, verse 4 is the first verse after the story of Stephen. And uh, I think in putting them together, especially uh, if you think about the context of what's going on in that story, uh, we'll, we'll learn something. We'll see uh, some things that you might not otherwise see. Uh, it's also true that when, when we looked at Acts 6, 1 through 7, we kind of glossed over verse 7. Um, but it becomes a kind of refrain in the book of Acts, we'll see. So it's important that we, we slow down and take a look at that verse. So we'll spend the most uh, time looking at 6, verse 7, and then we'll, uh, we'll hit on 8, verse 4. As well, And the question that these two verses are going to answer for us is how does the church grow? How does the church grow? Or how does the Spirit grow the church? And uh, we're going to, what we look at this morning is really going to be pretty basic. 
pretty straightforward, I think, but basic also in the sense of foundational, uh, something upon which we must build. And uh, so we're going to be asking the question, how does the Spirit grow the church? And you can see, uh, if you look in the back of your bulletin, there's an outline there. If you want to follow along, it's, it's fairly straightforward. We're going to talk about the means that the Spirit uses to grow the church. We're going to talk about the message that the Spirit uses to grow the church. And we're going to talk about the method that the Spirit uses to grow the church. The means, the message, and the method. And so first we'll talk about the means. Uh, when you think of church growth, uh, what comes to mind, right? How do you, how do you grow a church? Uh, what, what, uh, what does a church have to do if it wants to grow? Um, notice Acts 6-7. Look at that verse. Look at the parallelism in that verse. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The word increased and the disciples multiplied. Uh, now, I, I don't think Luke there in that sentence is talking about two distinct events. But he's really talking about two different ways of looking at one and the same reality. Uh, Acts 6-7 is part of a refrain uh, where Luke summarizes the growth of the church at periodic points in the book of Acts. And Acts 6-7, he says, the word increased and the disciples multiply. If you look back just a few verses, Acts 6-1, he said it was the disciples that increased. So you have the disciples increasing in 6-1. You have the word increasing and the disciples multiplying in 6-7. Acts 12-24, much later in the book of Acts, we're told that the word of God increases and multiplies. And uh, more examples could be given, but that's enough to show that these two words are used for both the Word and the church, right? So both the Word and the church increase and multiply according to Acts. And uh, the, the phrases seem to even be used interchangeably. So the, the, at one moment the Word is increasing, at the next moment the disciples are increasing, at one moment the Word is multiplying, the next moment the disciples are multiplying. And 6-7 uh, includes both halves of that, right? The, the, the Word of God continued to increase and the disciples multiplied greatly. Uh, this is one of those places where some translations, I think, actually do a little bit of a disservice. I'm all for using different translations, right? There's not one magical translation that you must use. Uh, but many translations, instead of increase, the Word of God increased, uh, they use the word spread, I think, well, maybe that's not so different, but, uh, or even in uh, 1224, later on in Acts 1224, they say uh, the word of God continued to spread and flourish instead of increase and multiply. And uh, there are kind of two problems with that. And, and one is that the word, well, doesn't really mean spread, uh, it, but increase, grow, uh, even become fruitful. Think of the organic growth of a plant. Uh, even the increase of a harvest, right? That's what the word is getting at. And the second is spread and flourish just doesn't quite have the same ring to it as increase and multiply. Is that important? Well, maybe. Uh, think about Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, actually, in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the, the Old Testament, guess what two words we find there? Uh, the very same two words you find in Acts 6-7, increase and multiply. And so God commands humanity to increase and multiply. He desires humanity to grow and fill the earth. 
And then in Acts 6-7, it's the word that is being fruitful and the disciples who are multiplying. Exodus 1-7, uh, the, the people of Israel are said to be fruitful and increase greatly. And again, you have the same two Greek words in the Greek Old Testament. Uh, what is Luke doing? He's connecting the growth of the church to God's plan for humanity from the beginning. He's saying what God promised to do way back then in Genesis chapter 1, that's what God is doing right now. He's saying what God was doing way back then with Israel in Exodus 1-7, that's what God is doing right now. He's connecting the growth of the church to God's plan for humanity from the beginning and to God's blessing on his people of old. As God blessed Israel, so God was continuing to bless his people to cause them to be fruitful and multiply. But Luke throws this little wrinkle in there uh, in that multiple times he says not the people, but the word of God increased and, or, or was being fruitful. Uh, we know what it means when Adam and Eve are fruitful and multiply. Uh, we know what it means when Israel is fruitful and multiplies. We even know what it means when the disciples are fruitful and multiply. It means that the people were increasing in number. But what does it mean that the word of God increased and multiplied? Or, or what does it mean that the word of God was fruitful? Well, uh, Jesus' parables to the rescue, right? Uh, you, you remember... Uh, some of Jesus' parables, maybe. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus uh, says, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew, increased, and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So according to Jesus, the kingdom of God is like this organic, growing, increasing entity. It begins with a seed. This little, tiny, insignificant nothing. The kingdom of God begins with a seed, but it, but it grows. It increases. So the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is something that starts with a seed and then grows, increases, is fruitful. And then there's the parable of the sower, which uh, Emily read earlier. A sower went out to sow his seed, Luke 8, 5. Some of it's eaten by the birds, you know. Some grows up quickly, but it withers from the sun. Uh, other grows, but is choked by the thorns. And still other seed falls into the good soil and grows and bears fruit. And, and kind of the key takeaway for our purposes this morning is actually Luke 8, 11, which says the seed is the word of God. And it's the word of God there that is growing and bearing fruit. So how does God's kingdom grow? It grows as the word of God takes root, increases, and bears fruit. The word of God growing organically, bearing fruit, is so integral to the growth of the church in the book of Acts that for Luke, they're one and the same thing. If you see disciples added to the church, it means the word of God has been planted and borne fruit in their lives. This is the way Paul talks about it in uh, Colossians chapter 1. He says the word of truth or the gospel had come to the Colossians Colossians, and was bearing fruit and increasing. Right? Again, using the same language. The Word of God is bearing fruit. It's come to you, it's bearing fruit, it's increasing. And uh, what was that fruit in uh, the Colossians' lives? It was the fruit of things like faith and hope and love, according to Colossians 1. The Word is bearing fruit in, in conversion and in sanctification. It's bearing fruit in people coming to know Christ and in people growing up in Christ. That's the fruit of the word. And so if we want to see 
an increase, and of course now I mean that in, in, in its sort of biblical full force, not just of numbers, but of fruitfulness, of the Word of God having its way with us, uh, we must rely on that Word. The Word of God is the Spirit's means, the Spirit's instrument for growing His kingdom, growing His church. Now, the, the question uh, might be, as we think about ourselves, is there something else that we trust instead of God's Word? Uh, is there something else we're tempted to rely on in uh, the church instead of God's Word? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Paul says at one point that he refuses to practice cunning, but openly proclaims the truth, right? He, he refuses to practice cunning, but openly proclaims the truth. And cunning there is, um, you know, it's, it's uh, one commentator called it a readiness to do anything one can do, right? It's whatever you can possibly do, that's what you're going to do in order to get the job done. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do whatever I can do. I'm going to simply openly proclaim the truth. You know, what, what might we come up with as a church to grow the church? How far would we go? Um, you know, Scripture's not against creativity in and of itself, right? I mean, God calls us to be creative. He's given us creativity. But, but Scripture is against creativity that supplants God's means, uh, that, that sets aside God's word, or that relies on, you know, cunning, trickery, manipulation to draw people in. God desires us to plainly and simply and clearly proclaim his word. And that plain, simple, clear word must have its way with us. The word must increase and bear fruit in us and through us. And so, you know, things like uh, church growth principles or statistics or, or even mission and vision documents, those things have their place. Uh, not saying they don't, right? They have their place in situating us to communicate the word. But if they lead us to replace the word, they end up being man's sinful attempt at self-sufficiency and self-reliance. If they lead us to clearly communicate the word, right, they are an expression of our attempt to faithfully administer God's word using our gifts in our context. So if we started thinking, say, about, okay, how, how, you know, how are we going to grow as a church? We're looking over the next year, and we're thinking, all right, here we are, all souls on the campus. What, what can we do to reach the people around us? And uh, if we decided, you know, the Bible is, uh, is a confusing book, and it kind of scares people away. So what we really need is just less Bible, right? Just, just a little less Bible. Stop scaring people off. Um, Maybe we decide, let's, let's replace the sermon with something else. Uh, we can replace it with, you know, we can replace it with a play, right? That's more inviting, that's more uh, uh, e easier for people to enter into. Um, that, to me, I don't know about you, that to me would be a kind of obvious supplanting of the word. Um, that would be human ingenuity, not the open statement of the truth that Paul talks about, um, now, maybe we decided as a church, you know, well, we're not going to do that because we're not going to replace God's word, right? But, but maybe we decided to start a theater company and have plays on Friday night and uh, hoping to connect with people one-on-one -on -one and bridge people into Sunday morning. Okay, that would, that would be a different kind of thing, wouldn't it? Um, there, your thinking is not leading you to supplant the word, uh, but to situate yourself to communicate the word. You see the difference there, maybe, I hope. Um, 
You know, now you might be thinking, well, can't plays communicate God's word? And uh, I would say, well, yes and no, and that's a discussion for another time, and we can talk about that then. But um, the question is, is the word central to everything we do as a church? Um, the word is central in the book of Acts. Yes, they devoted themselves to not only the apostles' teaching, you may remember, but also to uh, the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. But, but those things are the, the fruit of the increase of the word. Right? It's the word that brings about disciples and therefore fellowship and worship and prayer and everything that the disciples do. The Spirit's means of growing the church is fundamentally through the word. That's the seed that bears fruit. The Spirit plants the seed of the Word in human hearts and bears the fruits of faith in Christ and growth in Christ. Both are fruits of the Word increasing and growing in us. And so the Spirit's means is the Word as it increases and bears fruit. What about the message? What's the content of that Word? Brings us to the second point. Uh, It's one thing to argue that, that a Word or a message is central to the growth of the church, but it's another thing to get that message right. Our culture is, is, every culture, is full of messages, right? Uh, There are lots of words floating around. Every advertiser and media person, every self-help guru and nonprofit organization, every political pundit, and yes, every preacher, right, has a message that they think will change our lives. The question is, what is the word or the message that Luke is talking about here when he says that the word increased? Or in 1224, where he says, the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. What is the message that will actually grow and bear fruit in people's lives? Well, uh, thankfully, Luke doesn't leave us guessing. He explains it actually throughout the book of Acts. Uh, he talks about preaching the gospel in Acts 8.25 or preaching the Lord Jesus in Acts 11.20. He calls it the message or the word of salvation in Acts 13.26, or the word of God's grace in Acts 15.7. Paul, outside of the book of Acts, calls it uh, the word of the cross in 1 Corinthians 1.18, or, or the message or word of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5, or the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation in Ephesians chapter 1. So more often than not, it's interesting, uh, when writers in the New Testament speak of the Word of God or the Word of the Lord, uh, they, they mean not the Word of God in general, but the Word of the Gospel in particular. The message that grows the church is the gospel. We have seen this throughout the book of Acts already, right? Uh, when Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he begins to preach, or when he preaches before uh, the, the, the council, We've seen again and again that he preaches the same thing, right? He preaches that uh, Jesus was rejected by men, but raised up by God as Lord and Christ, and that all who believe in him will receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's what we often need to remember, or maybe even realize, that uh, fundamentally, the message that grows the church is not about what we must do, but it's about what Jesus has done. The message that grows the church is a message of grace and reconciliation that on account of Christ's death, his life, his death, and his resurrection, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. But having laid our punishment on Jesus at the cross, we are reconciled to the Father through his Son. 
This means that the, the message that grows the church is fundamentally uh, not two things. It's not two things. It's not, as we've already said, really, it's not about what we do. The message of the gospel is about what Christ has done. The word of God that grows the church is not a self-help manual about how you can make your life better if only you do these three things. It's not a set of rules to be followed in order to gain God's blessing. If I do this, then God will. The word of God that grows the church is not about what we do at all. It's about what Christ has done for us. What Christ has done to remove sin's guilt and reconcile us to the Father. We do need to respond to that message throughout the book of Acts. The the people are calling their hearers to repentance and faith. We confess our sins. We trust in the blood of Jesus. But it is that message that grows the church. It is that message that even brings about repentance and faith. The message that grows the church is fundamentally not then about what we do, but it's also, second, it's not about worldly prosperity. It's not about worldly prosperity, but about divine reconciliation. God, our Father, wants to draw near to us. And he has sent Jesus to reconcile us to himself, that we might be cleansed of sin and have our shame removed and draw near. The Word of God is not about having an easy or carefree life in the here and now. It's not about fixing all your relationships with family and friends now. It is about fixing our relationship to our Father in heaven now and entering into a restored, though still broken, community in the church. It's not about having peace with the world now, though it is about having peace with God now and having peace on earth in the life to come. It's not about having all of our earthly needs met now, though it is about having our spiritual needs met now in Christ and our earthly needs met fully at the resurrection when this whole world is made new. And so the message of the gospel, it's not three easy steps to, and it's not about fixing all your worldly troubles, but it's about restoration to our Father in heaven now and the hope of the resurrection to come. Now, I mentioned what the message of this word is not because it's so easy to slip into teaching a list of do's and don'ts or making promises that we can't keep. Or even if we never teach that, it's easy to slip into believing it ourselves. It's easy to think, if only I do a little more of this, then God will love me and then maybe he'll answer my prayers. The message of the gospel, though, is if you have trusted in Christ... God could not love you more than he does right now. God will not love you more in heaven when you are perfected than he did the moment you first believed, even in all of your sin. God's love is full and perfect right now in Christ. It's also easy to get frustrated or upset or or disillusioned, right, when life doesn't go our way and circumstances beat us down and weighty trials come along. But Christ doesn't promise that life will be trouble-free. Christ does promise he will be with us always, that the way to the throne of grace is always open, that God is always ready and willing and desirous for us to draw near and unburden our souls at his feet. Yes, our Father cares for us now, 
but it is as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Our shepherd promises not that we can skirt the valley, but he promises to be with us through it. And so what is the means by which the Spirit grows the church? It's the Word of God. What is the message or the content of that Word? It's the good news of the Father's love in giving His Son, the good news of what Jesus has done for us in the cross, the good news of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit for those who repent and believe, And yes, even the good news, uh, the Holy Spirit being the down payment of the new creation, the good news of the hope of all things made new on the last day. Which then brings us to our last point, which is uh, the method. So we've talked about the, the means or the instrument that the Spirit uses is the Word of God. We've talked about the message of that Word is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. Well, what about the method? Method. Uh, well, I haven't gotten to Acts 8.4 yet. Uh, I said we're looking at the bookends of the story of Stephen. Acts 6.7 is the last verse before Stephen's story. Uh, Acts 8.4 is the first verse afterwards. And Acts 8.4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, you may remember from last week that that Stephen is eventually martyred for his faith. He was put to death, and his death sparks this widespread persecution of the church in Jerusalem. The church is scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, I'll just note that uh, Stephen, in his speech, he mentions, he actually quotes Exodus 1-7. He mentions that Israel grew and multiplied in Egypt, and that the result of Israel's growing and multiplying was their persecution by Pharaoh. And we're told in Acts that the church is growing and multiplying in Jerusalem, and the result is their persecution by uh, the religious elite in Jerusalem. And Acts 8.4 tells us that those who were persecuted were scattered, and they went about preaching the word. Uh, The background for this actually, again, is in the book of Genesis. You know, God desires His glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And human beings created in His image uniquely reflect that glory. And so from the beginning, God commanded us, Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And uh, you may remember sometime after the flood, uh, humanity decided that they didn't want to fill the earth. We actually ended up talking about this a little bit in Sunday school. And uh, so instead of scattering uh, throughout the world, they decided they would build a city with a tower, lest they say, we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Uh, But you may know the story, right? God confused their languages so they would be dispersed, scattered over the face of the earth. That's the story of the Tower of Babel. And you may also uh, remember that Pentecost is a kind of undoing of Babel, where instead of God confusing our languages, uh, God enables people to speak various languages in order to bring clarity Babel is undone, right? God is making one new people, bringing unity to the peoples of the earth through Jesus. But God's program is still to have his people fill the earth. And yet up to this point, the church has stayed in Jerusalem. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But at some point, what that means is they have to get up and leave Jerusalem. They have to scatter They must leave Jerusalem and get on with business. And that's exactly what happens as a result of the persecution. 
those who were scattered by the persecution went about preaching the word. Now, when you hear that phrase, those who were scattered went about preaching the word, I think you ought to hear the sower sows the word. You scatter seed. And that's what God is doing. How is the divine sower, Jesus, sowing his seed? By scattering his children, hither and yon. Now, clearly you have this example of what the early church did here. They, they are scattered, and what do they do? They preach the word. When they were faced with persecution, they went, were scattered, and proclaimed Jesus. But I think they, they act here as a, a model for us. Now, um, that, that might not actually be the right way of seeing it. Um, it's not simply that the early church is a model for us here, but that this passage is showing us what God does through his church. What God did in his church in Acts and what he's still doing through his church even today. God scatters his people that he might sow his seed, that he might grow his church. This is about what God did and is doing even today. Nevertheless, I'm going to explain this point by applying it to us, right? And, and that the first thing to see is that God's people represent him wherever they go. Um, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Um, now, there's a little bit of a semantic thing going on here, which is um, we think preaching is what I do, right? This is preaching. And uh, if there's something that all Christians do, that's evangelism, right? That's evangelism. This is preaching. That's fine. That's not quite uh, the, the labels that the Bible puts on those things, um, but it's really just about what language we use for what. Uh, the Bible says those who scattered went about preaching the word, but only some people are called to teach, right? Uh, not many of you should be teachers, my brother, says the book of James. Uh, but proclaiming Jesus is all of our business. Teaching is the job of leaders in the church. The point is, whatever word you want to use for that, we all have the opportunity to talk to those around us about Jesus as we go about our daily lives. Now, I get it. Talking about Jesus can be uncomfortable and awkward. Uh, we're, we're afraid of not knowing what to say, of whether we will get it right, of what people will think in the end. Um, and it, it's true that, you know, even as we read Acts 8.4, Acts 8.4 is not an imperative, but a story. Those who went about, uh, were, those uh, who were scattered went about preaching the word. Uh, and it's also true that we all have different strengths and weaknesses, right? God has given us different gifts. Some have speaking gifts, some have serving gifts. Uh, but here, all I uh, want you to hear is this, that nevertheless, we all represent Jesus wherever we go. And we must be ready to talk about the hope that we have at any moment. Uh, here's what, uh, the way Paul puts it in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Notice Paul's uh, imperatives here. He, he tells us to walk in wisdom, that we must be wise about when we speak and when we hold our tongue. There is a time to speak and a time to remain quiet. We must pray for wisdom, right, to know the difference. Paul says, make the best use of the time. We must be on the lookout for opportunities. Every moment does not offer the same opportunities. As we go about life, we must keep our eyes open to make the best use of this moment in representing Jesus. The people who were scattered were doing that. And think about it. As they went, 
Why was it so easy to talk about Jesus? Well, probably because people were asking, what's going on? Why are you leaving Jerusalem? Why are you fleeing for your life? And they have an opportunity to answer them. Here's why. It's for Jesus. It's for his name. Uh, third, Paul tells us, let your speech be gracious and salty. Uh, we're not to be condemning or uh, judgmental in our attitude, but gracious. We're not to be cocky or arrogant in our attitude. We're to be kind and forgiving, patient and humble and salty. Uh, the old covenant uh, sacrifices always included salt. The old covenant sacrifices always included salt. Maybe what Paul means here is maybe what he's doing is reminding us that our words are an offering to God, that our speech is offered up to him as a sacrifice. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says that our words are a sacrifice, Hebrews 13, 15. He says, through Jesus then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Right? As we acknowledge Jesus to those around us, we offer that up as a sacrifice to God, however costly it might be. And so we're all called to be wise and take every opportunity and let our words be gracious toward men and an offering or a sacrifice to our Father. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They did what Paul exhorts the church later to do. Uh, there's something else that we're called to do, I think, in light of uh, Acts 8.4, and that is we're called to scatter. Uh, now, the church, in one sense, has been scattered. Uh, we're no longer in Jerusalem. Uh, when James writes to the churches he addresses in his letter, he writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Right? Uh, Peter addresses the church in the same way in 1 Peter. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And the church is dispersed. Uh, the, the, so in one sense, we don't have to disperse any further. Uh, the church is uh, all over the world. We're not only not just in Jerusalem. We're not just in Israel. We're not just in the Middle East. We're not just in you know, Asia Minor and, and Turkey and the places that, that Paul visited. We, we are all over the world. But there, is, uh, there are at least two senses, two ways in which we are still called to scatter as the church. Um, and so here uh, we have God's people taking God's word with them as they go. Uh, Peter says we are always to be ready to do the same thing, 1 Peter 3.15. We're always to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Now, it is so easy to live our lives cut off from the world, right, to live in our own bubble. But if people are going to ask us about our hope, we have to scatter. We, we have to get out of the house and get to know people. Uh, enough that they know we have this hope and they feel comfortable asking about it. Right? Peter's words, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you, assumes someone knows we have this hope and asks about it. Uh, the church is to be salt, right, which preserves a flavor. The church is to be uh, the leaven, uh, which works through the whole lump. The church is to be the light of the world, which is a city set on a hill. To do those things, we must not remain hidden. We have to scatter. Uh, we gather on Sunday mornings to draw near to the Father together, but we then scatter into the world, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our classrooms, to be sought and light and leavened, to bring, bring the seed of God, the Word of God, to the world around us, that God's Word might increase and bear fruit. 
And yet there's a second way that some of us might scatter. All of us are called to scatter to work and to our schools and to our neighborhoods. But some of us might be called by God to scatter even farther, right? God might be calling some of you, maybe people in this room this morning, uh, to scatter to parts of the world unknown, right? To, to be salt and light and leaven there, uh, to scatter the seed of God's word there, that God's word might increase and bear fruit there. But whether you're called to scatter to the unreached people groups of the world or you're just called to scatter to work in the morning, uh, we're all called to scatter, to go out into the world as, as salt and light and leaven. So how does the church grow? It grows as ordinary, everyday believers go about their day scattered into every corner of the world, in every nation and city, every workplace and classroom, every neighborhood and home, bringing God's word with them, living for Jesus and speaking about Jesus. So the word of God is the means, is the instrument the Spirit uses to grow the church. The grace of God in Jesus is the message of the word of the Spirit that the Spirit uses to grow the church. And the people of God scattered in every part of the world are the, the method or the process or the way in which the Spirit gets that word out to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation under heaven. May we be a people who scatter well. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you uh, for your word, and uh, we thank you that your Spirit uses your word to change our hearts, to draw us near to you, to uh, give us faith, to grow us up in grace. We pray, Father, that we would be people that as we scatter throughout the world, as we scatter throughout Champaign-Urbana, as we scatter throughout Illinois, as we scatter over the face of the whole earth, Father, that we would be a people who bring your word with us, who, who are ready at every moment to speak of the hope that we have in Jesus, ready to tell others about the grace found in the cross. Father, uh, make this so by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.